Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Kevin Vanderput. Um, we are now going to jump into our last message for this series called The Blueprint, where we've been looking at church. What is church? What was the early church like? Um, what does it mean for us today and what God wants to do in us? What has he been saying to us? Where are we going as a congregation and as a church? So we are going to do that now. Is it all right if I pray very quickly? All right, yeah, (laughs) yeah, okay, good. I'm gonna quickly pray and then we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for this time that we can just have listening to your word, um, listening to what you're saying, receiving from you. Father, I thank you that you are with us, you are for us, you wanna encourage us, you wanna build us up in your truth. You also might wanna challenge us a little bit and show us what those next steps are. Father, we just wanna have listening ears and open heart just being good soil for that truth to come in and bear much, much fruit as a result. So come and have your way. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can you hear me okay? All good? All right. So we've talked about a few things over the last few weeks, and we announced quite a few things as to like next steps and things, which if you have questions about, don't hesitate to come to me again. Um, and I was trying to think, because today was the last week, I was trying to think, well, what, how, where, this, that, you know, you want to wrap things up and you want to make things clear, but you also want to remind people of what might have been announced, etc. So I was trying to wrap my head around it all, um, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure how to make this all happen in half an hour. Um, but really, everything I kept hearing in my head was this one sentence Uh, that God kept saying over and over again, love is the key to multiplication. Love is the key to multiplication. Now, when we started all of this, not only the series, but just what God has been saying in this uh, recent season, what started it all was one sentence, get ready for multiplication, right? God was saying, get ready to us as a people, to us as a body, to us as a congregation, get ready for multiplication. And, And us, Saying to God, well, what does that look like is what got us to this point, right? The changes that are going to happen with church in the home, all of that, um, is what led us to this point. And so get, get ready for multiplication. And now love is the key to multiplication. It's almost like he's highlighting what is going to happen in us as we take this next step towards whatever multiplication he wants to bring. And I believe that at the heart of everything that God is asking us to do, um, there needs to be something happening in our hearts, right? It's not just about a system, about actions, about whatever things look like. It's about what God wants to do in us, right? So love is the key to multiplication. It all starts with love. And after all, it's not surprising, right? It's not like, oh, love, we're talking about love. No, it's not surprising because love is everything, to God, right? It's what motivated him to send his own son to us. It's, it's what he is. He is love. It's what he wants us to be. Yet when you look around us in the world in general, perhaps there is less and less love to be noticed, right? There is a warning actually that Jesus gives us about the future in Matthew 24. Uh, he's speaking of days to come, days of the end, and he says this, 
Verse 10, Matthew 24. It's going to come up on the screen. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Did you notice that little sentence in there? The love of most will grow cold. If at the center of everything that God wants to do, there needs to be love, then obviously love growing cold would stop it all, right? And so it's so important that we don't let that happen because the threat against love, if you like, will only increase. And we see that happen in the days that we're in. And Jesus is saying, as time goes on, as we go further and further towards that day, the love, it will only get more and more like that. You know, people will hate each other, come against each other, false prophets. Love of most will grow cold. And we want love to increase. So how do we do that, you might ask? How do we make sure that love keeps increasing, flourishing, that it grows, that it deepens, real love, God's love? How do we get there? Well, actually, every answer is in the Bible. If you didn't know, if you ever have a question, get in there. God will lead you and guide you. But Hebrews 10 gives us the answer. Verse 24 and 25, it says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So how do we spur each other to love? What does it say there? How do we spur each other to love and good deeds? By meeting together and encouraging one another. Yes, you guys are here. You're here? You're all awake? Yeah? Cool. All right. By meeting together, encouraging one another. And it says at the end, especially as we see the day approaching. Now, That is the time that Jesus is referring to in Matthew 24 as well. Times of the end, nearing that day, all of that. See how those two scriptures connect in that sense. Love is the basis for everything to God. Think about it. Think about it. All throughout scripture, right, Um, is the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is Alright, you guys, I'm gonna, you know, let's try again. But the first, but the fruit of the Spirit is? Alright, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which one was the first? We're getting there, let's go. Love is also the first and second commandment, right? Matthew 22 says this, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Great. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you see that theme here? Romans 13 even says love fulfills the law. It says, um, verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Love is the greatest is the greatest even above faith and hope. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is 
love. The greatest of these is love. And God is saying to us, the love is key to multiplication. And we demonstrate that by meeting together, encouraging one another. Let that sink in for a minute. How key that is to our lives. If the danger of the last days is that our love will grow cold, wouldn't we want to do everything we can to stir up that love, to keep feeding it, to make sure it's alive and kicking in that sense? And Hebrews tells us the way to do that, to spur each other to love and good works, is by meeting with one another and encouraging one another. Now notice it says one another, right? That means we are all involved in this. It doesn't say, don't give up on meeting together so the pastor can encourage you, right? <laughs> Although that's nice and it has its place. That's not what it says. No, it says one another. That is highlighting the importance of space where iron sharpens iron, where each of us has room to share, to be heard, to be supported, but also to support, to encourage, to cheer on, to love, to love on each other. That is what the church is all about. That is what church in a home, which is what we do here every other week. We're not here. We actually meet in homes in smaller groups, and then we gather here the week after again. But that is what church in a home is all about. It's not really about the home. It's not because we want a nice sofa because these chairs are uncomfortable. That's not why we're doing it, although these chairs are not very comfortable. Apologies for that. Um, <laughs> it's not about the home, it's about disciples, making disciples, right? We've been saying that for weeks now. But what is a disciple at its very core? It's a person that loves, right? Because Jesus loves, because God is love. Church in a home is a space to love, if you want to put it that way, to outwork that verse from Hebrews 10. And of course, this never takes away from anything that happens here in the building. It's still so key to gather as a bigger body. A bit like if you look at the Old Testament, you see those patterns. And then you think, why is it there? And then you think about our lives and actually those patterns emerge again. Uh, in the Old Testament, you had family, clans, tribes, and the whole nation of Israel, right? Um, and, and today you have your own family, right? You have your own family. You meet in church in a home with your clan. Uh, you gather in the building here as a tribe and as a whole body of kingdom faith, if you like, nation of Israel, kingdom of faith, it, it works. We are one body, and we also meet regularly with the other congregation um, because we are one body, one church in many locations. It's all about that love that God wants to cultivate in us. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying here that we don't love today, right, as we are right now, that we don't love. I actually believe that God has done so much in us already as a congregation over the years, in the way we love one another, in the way we, he has brought us close together, making this a tight-knit community. But I'm also aware that when God speaks of love, there is such depth to it, such strength to it, such power to it, that I know there's still so much more for us to discover in that. Thank you for I want to show this very short video. It's like four minutes long. It's made by these guys at Bible Project that we love. Uh, if you don't know, go check them out. Uh, it goes fast, so brain switched on uh, to the screen. Four minutes. Let's watch it together. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. 
do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day, it was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. 
So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Wow, I couldn't have said it better myself which is why we watched the video, right? Um, I love this bit at the end, though. It says, at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for this world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive that love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. Isn't that not a powerful picture? God is calling us to a very special kind of love that we experience from him in our relationship with him every day and we're meant to overflow with that love to everyone around us. Now, now you might say, Kevin, you've been going on for a minute now about love and it's all good, but weren't we here to talk about church? That's what the series is about. Weren't we focusing last week on those practices the early church devoted themselves to? You're right. So we're going to go back to those practices today really quickly. I want to highlight one of them. But here's the thing, though. They would not have been able to devote themselves to those practices or anything inspired by God if they didn't love, right? And you see it's the basis of everything. And again, you see how it all then connects. So I want to go back to the second practice today for a minute. Uh, the one about fellowship, if you remember from last week, the early church devoted themselves to four things, uh, and the second one was to fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, Sharon, last week, shared a brilliant message. I'm not saying that just because she's my wife. Um, and uh, she shared a brilliant message, and she, she said that fellowship comes from the word Greek in the Bible, Kononia, I've been trying to pronounce that all week. Kononia, there you go. Uh, Which can be translated as shared participation within a community. And later on in the chapter, the scriptures uh, say about fellowship that all the believers were together and had everything in common. The disciples' commitment to fellowship was something tangible, something that had actions attached to it. They shared the time, the space, the stuff. Everything was done together. And again, you can't do all of that if you don't love, right? Can you agree with me? If you don't have love at the basis of that, there is no way you're going to follow that through. Because even if you try to do it without love, God says in his word that it wouldn't mean a thing, right? For God, it's about your heart, in it? The beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, very famous chapter about love, and we've quoted it already, but a bit later on in the chapter. Um, But the beginning of the chapter says this, If I speak in tongues of man or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. According to God, you cannot do anything worth something if it doesn't have love at the core of it. The starting point of anything that the church has done at the time, the early church, and that we are doing now needs to be love. A love for God, a love for people. 
And so when they devoted themselves to fellowship, they devoted themselves to one another, to loving each other, to participate collectively in each other's life and in that sharing everything together and that looked like loving one another completely. Now, that can seem exciting to some, the perspective of that. Um, For others, it might seem a bit daunting, and that's okay. In fact, have you ever thought of the concept of self-preservation, right? We might all have that, we might not put that word on it, but we might all have that instinct sometimes kicking in, kicking at, at points in our lives, right? Kicking in. This idea that we need to protect ourselves, right? I, I need to protect my family. I need to protect my finances, maybe protect my time, protect my space. Um, and of course, there, there's wisdom in that. And please hear me out here. Anything I'm saying today, I'm not asking you to burn yourself out to be someone that you are not. Um, but I'm asking you to hear through everything what God is saying to us. And, and actually, God graces us for what he's calling us to do, right? So if he's calling us to another level of love, then obviously that will have actionable change for us in the way we live. But he will make sure that we will be okay through it all. You will be okay through it all. Because God cares about you. As a person, he cares about your well-being. He cares about your life so much. Now, having said all of that, hear me out. When it tends to be little, the instinct that comes up, at least within me, is to try to protect the little that we have, right? As an introvert myself, uh, you might not think I am, but I very much am an introvert. Um, As an introvert myself, my first instinct is always to protect my time, to protect my space. And, And again, there is wisdom in that. But God also challenges me constantly to grow in the way I am, in my character, in the way I love others, right? This is what we're talking about. And I've seen his grace so much carrying me through this season of being pastors as kingdom faith because obviously it requires to do a lot of things that an introvert might not like at the get-go. You know what I'm saying? But um, I've seen his grace in it all. And, and we can see in the Bible this principle at work when not enough is given to God, it can actually become much. When the little becomes much and an abundance can flow. If we turn to scripture, you'll understand what I'm trying to portray here. Luke 6, 38 says this, give and it will be given to you. It will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Yes, it is, Kevin. I want to read one more story to relate to that and give you a a picture of what I'm trying to say. It's found in 1 Kings 17, and you find this guy called Elijah, big guy in the Bible, and he goes to this new town, and he meets this widow, and we're going to pick up the story in, in verse 11. And so he calls to the widow, and he says this, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in this bowl and a little oil in this jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Quite a depressing thought, but you get the situation. She's at the end of herself. Essentially, she's about to have her last meal because that's all they have left as a family. Now look at Elijah's answer, right? Elijah said to her, do not fear. Cool, that's good. 
Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. Wrap your head around this one, right? She's already told him, look, man, you're all really nice and all. I don't have enough for me and my son, right? So I'm going to go and do my bread and give it to me and my son, and you're going to do your own thing over there. Elijah's answer is, cool, as you make the bread, though, come and give it to me first, the person you don't know about, and then you will have NG, whatever, for his, but I don't have enough. Elijah, don't you get it? I already don't have enough, and you want me to give it to you? Watch what happens after. For thus says the Lord your God, Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. What an amazing story of provision, right? There was nothing, but she followed and trusted the word of Elijah, who was a prophet at the time. And as a result, not only did she have that one meal, Elijah had that one meal, her household had that one meal, but then they ate for many days. How amazing is this? I love the Bible. Uh, Can I read this sentence again, though? Out of all those verses, it says this. It said this at this point. The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted. God supplied for everything in this story. Even though she might have wanted to protect the little that she had, she lived with open hands in that moment, offered what she had, the little that she had left, and God provided above and beyond that, and she could even become a vessel of blessing to the people around her. She put Elijah above herself in that moment, and her family, actually, even though they had next to nothing left. And God honored that. He supplied her and her family, all their needs, above and beyond. You might feel like when things are running out, there's this instinct of self-preservation coming in. And the instinct might be to protect, to close the door, to actually just focus on ourselves, on our own life. But in that time, God is calling to open the door wide, calling to generosity, to live with open hands like this widow did. The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted. I believe that the season we're about to step in as a congregation will not exhaust you, will not exhaust me. It might seem abstract in the context of what I'm saying, but as we step into things, things will look a certain way, and I believe it's important for some of us to know that this season will not exhaust us. I believe this so strongly. It can seem like God is requiring more from us, right? Which might be true. It is true in a way. But, because we don't know how everything is going to work out. But the outworking of these steps, everything we're talking about, as we are moving into those things in obedience, God is saying, do not worry. You will not be exhausted. I will grace you for what I'm asking of you. In this season, I believe that each of us can and will flourish. Amen? Because if Let me give you some context if you're not following me. If God is speaking about multiplication, the word says that his word never returns void. So if he's speaking out multiplication, 
In his mind, it's a done deal, right? We might be 53 people, according to the sheet of paper in the congregation today, but I don't believe we will stay at 53 people. If God is bringing multiplication, obviously, more people are going to join this community. More people are going to come into relationship with us. More, more, more. Can you see the theme here? But it doesn't mean that it will become exhausting for the ones already here. It doesn't mean that we are going to run out because in his grace, in his goodness, God will supply all of your needs and will enable you and us as a community to keep on loving each other no matter what the increase looks like and the multiplication requires. Am I making sense? Good. So God wants to bring us forward into his purposes. With what he wants to do here, when we gather in the building, we hear from his word, he pushes us, launches us forward. When we worship together like we did this morning, I believe that God wants to, in the days coming, do something special in our times of worship. Just encounter us in fresh new ways as we spend time in his presence, as we give of ourselves, as Sabrina was saying, but also as we meet in homes, as we fellowship with one another, as we are accountable to each other, as we meet together, as we are honest with each other, as we contribute to this conversation and become vessels of his love. In the way we honor God in our lives, I believe that things are going to develop more and more and God's going to do good things through all of that, as we start grappling with his word more, discussing it together in homes, as we start journeying towards those hubs, right? In September, we're going to go to a fixed group in homes, those hubs, you know? I believe that as we are accountable to each other and all of that within those hubs, God is going to do special things that we will flourish as a body. We will bear much fruit and multiply because that's what he has spoken, multiplication. And in all that, can I just say as well, I'm including kids and youth. I have to hurry up. I'm including kids and youth, right? We used to do youth um, ministry for years with Sharon, and, and, and my heart is so strong for the next generation. I, I want to invest in them. I want to love on them. I want to steward them in a way, if that's a thing, so that they flourish and they step into everything that God has for them. But we won't have anything specific for children when we do church in the home. Now, this might seem counter whatever, but, and we will have kids' ministry when we're here in the building and crash and all of it, but we want to include the kids in what is happening in their homes. We want to include them in everything we do in our conversation. We want to collectively invest in our kids and youth, right? We want to invest. I want you to have an input in Gabe's life. Gabe's my son, if you don't know. I want you guys to have an input and an influence on his life. People say it takes a village to raise a kid, right? Good if you're from a village, but we're a church, and that should mean so much more to us, right? As a people, we want to gather around our children, around our kids, around our youth, and see them grow strong in the faith, and kids learn by watching. They watch everything we're doing. I mean, my kid just learned how to clap. Most basic thing in the world, you've all seen it happen. It's not impressive to you, but when it happened to him, we were all jumping up and down. Oh, he's clapping. This is amazing. Um, But how has he learned to clap? 
Because we clap him all day long. Because every time he does something right, we're like, oh, Gabe, good job. Because we clap in worship. He's seeing it happen. And so he's learning. He's absorbing that. He's reproducing that. And we want to see that happen in our kids and youth, in the way they grow, in the way they flourish, in the way they live their lives and become vessels of his life and love to the world that they live in. So we're going to include as much as possible the kids into everything that we do in home. And yes, it might mean pausing the conversation and answering one of their questions. It might mean uh, adults answering kids, kids saying something. But I long for a day when kids start laying hands on adults and stuff happens. Don't you that they take their faith seriously and they have the Holy Spirit as much as we do, right? It's not they get a little dose of the Holy Spirit and it slowly increases over 60 years. No, they get it all. My life is yours. He's faithful to come into their lives and guide them through their lives. And so we want to encourage that, don't we? We want to give them a space and a platform to do that. Hopefully, my heart is coming across in how much I care for them. Thank you, Timmy. Thank you, Jesus. Let me recap very quickly, because we're running over time, and I'm so sorry. Well, actually, we have seven seconds. As As God said, we're getting ready for multiplication, and we believe as part of that, I'm going to recap kind of very quickly the practical, so you have them in your head one more time. But we believe... That, that ready for multiplication had implications not only for here in the building, like we've been setting up youth and children ministry, the crash now is starting to gather once a month, to just the way we do building teams and everything here in the building. You might not realize that, but all of that's been happening in the background. So changes are happening here as well. I'm not just making you know, all, it all about church in the home, but we believe that changes needed to happen with that too. And so from June onwards, right, we will come off the stream. If you've been in a home, you know, we tune in to the stream that's happening in Horsham where Pastor Clive was this morning as he shared that little video with us. And we will stop doing that and we'll do teaching live in each home. As part of that, we want to encourage conversations as much as possible. Because it's great to hear a word from me every other week or from whoever is speaking here But I believe we really need to start grappling with what those things mean for us. What do they mean for my Monday? How is this going to change my life? What does this mean for my husband, for my kid, for my place of work? And all of that takes conversation. Right? There's only answers you're going to find in the, in the sharing and having that fellowship with one another that Acts 2 was talking about. It is biblical after all. So we're going to do live teaching in the room. And from September onwards, so that's June, from September onwards, then we'll stop, you'll stop having the ability to sign up to each and every home you want on any given week, like you do on the website right now. And you'll have set groups that you'll meet with. That means you'll meet with the same people every other week. That, and we want to encourage that to be the closest hub to where you live. So let's say you're in Hayward Seath. There'll be a hub in Hayward Seath. You'll go to that hub. Am I making sense? Why? Because God is speaking about multiplication and we have a role to play as part of that. And so we want to own our street. We want to own our neighborhood. We want to own those things in a way that maybe we haven't until now fully. And so you will gather with people that are from the same area, carrying a heart for that area, praying for that area. And you will also have this space to share, to be accountable to another, to get that support in a different way. And yes, we could do all of that midweek. Let's not 
kid ourselves. That is a possibility. You might ask yourself why we don't do that. But actually, the weak stuff is an opt-in thing. This is an opt-in thing. I want you all to be part of this. And we value this so much that we are making it a Sunday thing. Am I making sense? That is why it's so important to us to see you flourish, to see you grow, to see you wrestle with those things that we are making it a Sunday thing. All right, one more minute. Oh, yeah, Uh, I don't have time for this. Let's just move forward. I want to mention one last thing to finish. There's obviously wonderful things already happening in our relationships, and I believe God is only going to take us forward in that, that things will continue to deepen, continue to be strengthened, we'll continue to see amazing things happen. And this verse I'm about to quote, if you wait to listen to every message I've shared since we started the congregation... Don't go and do that. That would take a lot of work. But it's probably the verse I've quoted the most over the past four years or so. I don't know how long we've been going. John 13, 35 says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Love is the single most distinctive characteristic that we have as believers. It's what makes the difference between us and the rest of the world in that sense that when people naturally stop loving, when they give up on one another, when things get hard, when whatever, we are still here. We are still loving. We are still, because God does. God never gives up, never gave up on us, right? And so we are not, that is why love is the key to multiplication, In a world where everything is growing cold, where love is growing cold, we have a love that is growing, that is deepening. And at different times, that has meant different things for us, meant different things for us as a congregation. But I believe that as we step into these new things, it's like another layer is being peeled off. You know, God works in layers. We revisit the same stuff all the time, but it's like another layer is going to be peeled off when it comes to us loving one another. So I want to encourage you, encourage myself to embrace that fully and see where it takes us. Is that okay? Oh man, let's pray together and then Sabrina's going to come and do some uh, amazing announcements quickly. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for everything you've said this morning. I truly believe that those are not my words, but they are your words, that they come right from your heart. And Lord, we want that word to fall in good soil. Each of our hearts to be like good soil where, where those, those seeds of your word can take roots and grow and grow and grow, become strong and bear much fruit. And we know that love is at the center of it all. Of course, you are at the center of it all, but love is at the center of it all. We want our love to be so evident in our lives, evident for one another, evident for the world, evident for you. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to speak to each of us about your love in the coming days and how much you love us, how much you care for us just personally, our well-being, everything about us, how much you love others around us, how much you love your church, And what all of that means for us. Father, I thank you that you have us on a great journey. 
and that you take care of us along the way, that we are just taking one step after another, going from glory to glory, just, just continuing to walk that journey of faith with you. And Father, I thank you that on the way we are going to witness amazing things because we are submitted to you. So Lord, come and have your way here in Burgess Hill, here in Kingdom Faith, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we prayed. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.